any leader in the church, and then for you as church members, right? Folks who have made vows to your congregation, this congregation perhaps, or another one. There, there are great principles in here. Things that you are, you should be able to first look at your leaders and say, are these the things that you're giving us? Because these are the things you should expect from those who have watch over you. And then there's a little bit of an encouragement, I think, in the passage for some of you who haven't joined maybe with a congregation. It may not be this one. It may not be another one. You need to join with a congregation. You need to place yourselves under the authority of elders because the implied sense in the text in this passage is that Paul is talking to a group of elders from Ephesus. And he's saying to them, listen, you have watch over the souls of those people. And and the people that Paul is thinking of are a very specific group. He knows them. He himself has been preaching to them. And those elders have care for their souls. And you can only have care for the souls of folks who have said, I want you to have care for my soul, okay? And so there's kind of an implicit idea in the text that you have some sort of a connection to a local body of believers. In this case, it was the Ephesian church. In your case, it needs to be a local body. Find one. Place yourself there. Minister there. Serve there. It's only as you do that and you place yourself under the authority of the elders that they can exercise that loving, gentle care for you, that nurturing care, and they can bring you all the way home, um, as the Apostle Paul was uh, working to do in this, in this passage. So, I want us to look at, uh, I want us to look at the entirety of Paul's speech, and, um, and we're gonna do it, um, looking at four, um, four, four aspects. First is, uh, and all of them, in every part you'll see, Paul is concerned about the gospel. He taught the gospel. He demonstrated the gospel. He protected the gospel. And finally, he trusted the gospel. So let's look at those four. The first one is, he taught them the gospel. Any genuine ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ, has as its nexus the good news. It doesn't drift off into all sorts of other areas. It is the good news. And the good news is that there was an event that happened 2,000 years ago, and that event affects your life and my life in a very dramatic way. And that is Jesus Christ came down. He took on the form of a man. Marion read for us the passage in Ephesians chapter, or Philippians chapter 2. That passage that talks about that Jesus laid aside. He had the full weight of glory. He was in heaven and he laid that aside and he came down and he took on the form of a man. And he walked through life in obedience to the law's demands. And he met every one of them. And then he died and he was resurrected. And the gospel good news is, as we trust in the person and the work of Christ, the righteousness of Christ is imputed to our account. It's given to us. It's put in, it's put in our account. And as God looks at us, he sees us and he declares us righteous. Not because of anything that we've done, but because of what Christ did back then that is now a part of our account. 
That's the gospel good news in a nutshell. Any real ministry has that as its nexus. Paul taught that to them. You'll see in verse 21, he says, I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that what? They must turn to God in repentance and have faith in the Lord Jesus. And what he is saying there is, in order to be a Christian, you have to turn from your idols, from whatever ways of living you were trusting in. For Jews, it was their trust in the law. For others, it was all sorts of things. Turn from that and trust in the person and work of Christ. And that's what that's what Paul lays down. And he says, I did not hesitate to declare that to you. And then he talks a little bit uh, in this first section exactly how he did that. Verse 19, he tells them about... Um, how he did it, right? He taught them with what? Humility and with tears. One of the things, one of the striking things about Paul's ministry is he never made it about him. He wasn't interested in being exalted and lifted up. When, when he would tell them to follow him, he would say, follow me as I follow Christ, right? Um, in Corinthians, he recognized that the church was splintered and scattered and there were, there were all sorts of factions and there were people that were following this teacher and people that were following that teacher. And Paul says, listen, right? In all of it, we follow Christ. Let's follow Him. Let's not be all splintered and, and, and interested in uh, accolades and, and gathering for ourselves people who are following us. Please, only follow me as I follow Christ. And that is what Paul was interested in. And that's why he says here, listen, I served you with tears and with great humility. The last thing that, uh, the last thing that you should want as a parishioner is a pastor who wants it to be all about him. I am not interested in Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church being all about me. Marion is not interested in it being all about him. We are all, we are interested in pointing you to the Lord Jesus. Not in who we are or what we can do or what we are about. Uh, none of that interests us. Nor your elders. We are interested in promoting the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is our longing. That is our passion. That is our desire. And as we follow Paul's admonition here, we want to do it with great humility. Please. And then we want to do it with tears. We, we plead we, as we pray for, for you and with you. We want to plead with you as well. Follow Christ. Turn to Him. Trust in Him. There's no greater hope in life and in death, right? As we, uh, on the first Sunday of the month when we do the Heidelberg Catechism, what is your only comfort in life and death? That I am not my own, but I have been bought with a price. And my life is now hid in Christ. That's our only hope. And so Paul tells them, he tells them that he taught them to trust, to repent, to trust in Christ. The way that he did that was with great humility and with tears. 
And then he tells them that he taught them without fear. And the way that he says that is he says in verse 21, I have declared to to both Jews and Greeks. If you back up just a, a verse or two at the end of 19, he says, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. Paul says, I was fearless. It didn't make any difference to me if it was the Jews or the Greeks, whatever plots they had set. Um, in, in the passage that we looked at last week, uh, the riots are going on. What does Paul want to do? They were there. They were in this giant amphitheater, and they were they were shouting down everyone. Remember, they they pushed uh, one of one of the Jewish leaders. They pushed him up there, and they they were hoping that he could quiet the crowd. And as soon as he got up, they just they just shouted him down. Great is Artemis. Artemis is our God. And they and they kept on for hours. And Paul, the text says, Paul wanted to go in there. He he wanted to go in and and confront them and no doubt preach the gospel. And what did the what did the town leaders do? He said, "You're crazy." And they refused to let him go in there because they knew that it was a mob. But Paul taught without fear. Elders, let's teach without fear. Let's teach the gospel of Jesus Christ without fear. Fear of man, fear of what someone might think of us, uh, fear of what the community might say about us. Ah, church over there, LOPC, they're just, you know, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Absolutely. We want to be about the Lord Jesus. So Paul taught them the gospel. The second thing I want you to see is he demonstrated for them the gospel. He lived it among them, verses 22 to 24. And this is how he, this is how he demonstrates it. He tells them that the Spirit is compelling him. And we don't know what this is. There was some sort of a feast, or there was a Pentecost was coming up, or, or the Passover. We don't know. But, but Paul had this compulsion in his heart. And, and when he says that I am compelled by the Spirit, that, that word compelled is he was being driven by the Spirit. Driven by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. And he adds, I have no idea what will happen to me. And the reason that he doesn't know what's going to happen to him is that Jerusalem is going to be a hostile place because here is Paul who has been out now proclaiming this, this gospel, right? And, um, and remember, we've had, we, if you go back just a few chapters, we had the council in Jerusalem and they decided at the council in Jerusalem that, that you didn't have to be circumcised and follow all the dietary laws in order to be a Christian. And all that is done is anger that Jewish contingent in Jerusalem. But Paul is headed back there. The Spirit has compelled him to go back to Jerusalem. And so he's thinking in his mind, I'm going to go back there. They could string me up for all I know. And then he adds, he says, in every town I go into, I'm reminded that it's prison, it's hardship, it's trouble, it's all out there in front of me. The Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardship are facing me. I don't know about you, but when I, 
when I read when I read that and I think, wow, what must it have been like at every turn? And all, all I can think of is periods in my life where um, things weren't. I was I was in situations where there were unknowns, and those unknowns caused great anxiety and and almost panic in my heart. And to think about Paul thinking to himself, prison hardships, beatings. I mean, you go back and you read Second Corinthians chapter six, chapter seven, where he lists out all of the things that happened to him in his ministry. The beatings, the shipwrecks, the imprisonments, and, and we know, cause we know the end of the story, that's coming, right? He's gonna end up in prison in Rome, where he's gonna end up writing a series of letters that you and I have that are tremendously encouraging. And Paul's saying, I don't know what the future holds, but, but what I do know is, it's probably gonna be bad. Earthly speaking, humanly speaking, it's not what it's probably not what I would pick out, I'm, I'm thinking is what Paul would say, but, but, look at what he says, verse 24, however, I consider my life, what, worth nothing to me. Verses 22 and 23 are where every one, of, every one of us wants to stay away from verses 22 and 23. We don't want any part of that. Hardships and sufferings, death. We're running as fast from and, and doing everything we can do to keep, to keep death at bay. Supplements. Exercise. I see some of you, the Lake Club. I'm there for the same reason. I turned I, I turned fifty today. Happy birthday. I know some of you are going, Are you kidding me? Fifty? Doctors visits, heart monitors. We want to keep we want to keep it as arm's length. It's not happening. It's not coming. Yeah, it is. The psalmist says, what? Three score and a few. If you're lucky, 75. We've, we've been able to push that up a number or two. Paul is focused elsewhere. What's he focused on? He's focused on, he's not focused on running the race. What does he say? I want to finish the race. And here's the thing. What does finishing the race look like for you? You're running it. You're somewhere along the, you're somewhere along the, the, the journey, right? Let me ask, what does finishing it look like? Have you thought about it? You have a plan for the finish? You know, racers, people who run like marathons and, and stuff like crazy people, a couple of you out here, I know, I know you, crazy people that like to run, right? And you run that marathon, those, those runners have a plan, right? 
And so they're going to run, they're going to run, you know, X amount of miles at, you know, this pace. And then they're going to kick it in and, and they're going to finish this way, right? They hold some in reserve. Because at the end, what they want is they want to turn it on big. And then some people want to get out fast and get that lead. And then they're going to, they're going to coast across the finish line. How, how are you going to finish? Have you thought about what the finish looks like for you? Paul was thinking about his finish. He wasn't thinking about where he had been. He wasn't saying, you know, oh man, look, he, he, he could have got on the ship and gone to Rome, claimed his Roman citizenship, stopped all this gospel stuff, and lived it out nice. But what does he say? I consider my life nothing. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given to me. What was that task? The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Wow. He had a plan for the end. Whatever that end was, the plan was, I'm going to testify to God's grace. He ends up in prison. He, he ends up being martyred. And the end for him was, I'm going to testify to God's grace. You're in that race. Do you have a plan for the finish? What does that look like? You're thinking about that. For me, there's a little bit of an echo here of John 12:24. Elizabeth Elliot, a lot of you know, she she died just a couple years ago. Elizabeth and Jim Elliot, um, young missionary couple, and uh, and they they were in Ecuador. They they were down there to to minister to the Akua Indian tribe, and Jim's ministry lasted about. That long, because when they finally landed their plane and they went to introduce themselves and the gospel to the Indians, they they killed them straight away. Only to have that tribe come to faith. Jody and Christopher got to go down there a year ago and work at the same place and to minister amongst some of those generations that have followed Nate Saint and Jim Elliott and, and the other men that gave their lives. But in her reflection on that time, there's, there's an interview that she did years later. And in her reflection on her husband's loss, and, and she was, she thought the world was collapsing around her. She, it, it, she was thinking, what in the world? We just want to, Minister Jesus to these people and, 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 and God, what were you, what, why did you take my husband? And, and she's kind of working her way through that and she said, he brought to mind John 12, 22. I mean 24, where Jesus says, very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, and anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant will also be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. 
People everywhere are trying to live. They are doing their best to live. Paul was dying to self. And, and, and in doing that, he was demonstrating the gospel to him, right? Because Jesus came down. Jesus looked at the full weight of glory that was his in heaven. And he said, I will eschew that. I will set that aside in order to go and serve, to love, to purchase for the Father those whom he has set his love on. That's why Jesus came down to to earth. And Jesus says, right, those who love me will follow me. They will follow that idea. Paul echoes that in Philippians 2, right, where he says, listen, your mind should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who gave up the full weight of glory. And that's what Paul's saying here. Paul's saying, look, I counted all of that as nothing. Let all that go. I'm going to run the race. I'm going to focus. There are hardships before me. There are trials before me. There are difficult situations before me. I'm just going to let the grace of God flow through me to those around me. I'm going to preach it. I'm going to teach it. And I'm going to live it. And that's exactly what he was doing. He was demonstrating that gospel. Listen to the way C.S. Lewis puts it in. This this is from Mere Christianity. I have it divided into three chunks. If any of you are falling asleep after the first chunk, then I'm going to stop. If you're still with me, I might read the second one. But listen to what he says. He says, but there must be a real giving up of the self. You must throw it away blindly, so to speak. Christ will indeed give you a real personality. But you must not go to him for the sake of that. He says, as long as your own personality is what you are bothering about, you are not going to him at all. The very first step is to try to forget about the self altogether. You're still with me? Listen to what he says. Your real new self will not come as long as you are looking for it. It will come when you are looking for him. Does that sound strange? The same principle holds, you know, for everyday matters. In social life, you will never make a good good impression on people until you stop thinking about what sort of impression you are making. And he ends it by saying, In literature and art, no man bothers about originality will ever be original. Whereas if you simply try to tell the truth, nine times out of ten, you will become original without having ever even noticed it. The principle runs through all of life from top to bottom. Give up yourself, and you will find your real self. Lose your life, and you will save it. That's the way C.S. Lewis put it in Mere Christianity. That's what Paul is talking about as he demonstrates the gospel for them. Because what is he saying? He's saying, look, it's probably going to turn out bad. These guys love him. He came to their city. He preached the gospel to them. He says, I was among you for three years. He built them up. He poured his life into them. He, he was much better than any of us, apparently, at, re, at relationship building. 
He did a tremendous job. So when he calls them while he is in Miletus, which is south of Ephesus today, it's about an hour and a half by car. I don't know what it would have taken them, a, a full day, maybe two days to get down there to him. He's in Miletus because he can't go back to Ephesus because of the riots. He calls to the elders and they all come down to see him. And so he's giving them his last bit of, of all right, here's my, my parting wisdom to you. And part of that is, I count my life as nothing. I just want to make the gospel known. In Philippians chapter 121, he says it this way. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If you want to read further on that subject, I would commend to you a little book. Very, It is. It's three chapters long. It's very small. You can get it on Amazon cheap by Tim Keller called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. Do yourself a favor and read it. Here's the third thing. He protected the gospel and he asked them to do the same. Verse 26. In verse 26, he says something very strange to them. He says, therefore, I declare to you today that what? I am innocent of the blood of all of you. Those are weird final parting words, right? That sounds sort of apocalyptic. Um, I am, my hands are washed of the blood of you. And as strange as it sounds, here's what he's saying to them. Because uh, um, right just prior um, to that um, verse, he says, Now, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare I'm innocent of the blood of any of you. Verse 27, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Here's what Paul is thinking about. He is, he's, he's thinking about the watchman. Ezekiel 33 or Ezekiel chapter 3, either, either passage, same idea. But here, here it is out of Ezekiel 33. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, speak to your people and say to them, When I bring the sword against the land and the people of the land choose one of their men and make him their watchman, and he sees the sword coming against the land and blows the trumpet and warns the people, then if anyone hears the trumpet but does not hear the warning and the sword comes and takes their life, their blood will be on what? Their own head. Since they heard the sound of the trumpet, but they did not hear its warning, their blood will be on their own head. If they had heeded the warning, they would have saved themselves. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and doesn't blow the trumpet and doesn't warn the people and the sword comes and takes someone's life, that person's life will be taken because of their sin. And I will hold the watchman accountable for their blood. And so here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, listen, while I was among you, I warned you, I told you. I I gave you everything that you needed for life and godliness. I told you how to live. I told you how to conduct your lives. I told you how to live in these... I gave you the situational awareness in order to live out the gospel. And so what he was saying was, I blew the horn. I blew the horn for you so that you would know. Now, if any of you perish, it's on you. Because I preached the gospel to you. I gave you what you needed. That's what Paul's saying. If the converse was true, if he had held back, 
Well, you know, just just do good. Just pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Work harder. Try harder. You know, if he had held withheld the gospel from them, then they perish. Then he hasn't announced. He hasn't been the watchman he needs to be. Elders, our job, chief function, and those of you who will be elders now and in the future, places of leadership in the church, blow the trumpet. Make it known. Spread the truth. Let it out. Don't hold back. That's what Paul says. But, but he doesn't stop there. He goes on and he challenges. He says, be on guard. Be careful. The truth of the gospel is entrusted to you. And people are trying all the time and will try in the future to lead you and them and us astray. Verse 28. Keep watch over yourselves and the flock. Listen, this is, this is that pointed instruction where he's saying, Elders, you know the flock, take care of them. And on the flip side, he's saying to some of you, make sure you're in a flock. Make sure, not, this is not for selfish reasons. It's not for any other reason than your care goes up. The care for your soul goes up. The encouragement in your heart goes up when you join yourself with the local body, be it this one or another one. Just do it. And so he warns them, watch over the flock. Watch yourselves. The the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. He's using all of these words, right? Your elders, your overseers, your shepherds. It's all the same thing. And I know that, that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you. And will not spare the flock. And even from your own number, people will rise up. And so that's his warning. And Paul says, look, I protected the gospel when I was among you. I preached it to you. I gave it to you. And now I'm asking you, do the same thing. Here's the fourth thing. Finally, he trusted the gospel. Verse 32. You'll you'll notice, right? Um, Verse 18 He says, you know how I lived. And he goes on. Then verse 22, and now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem. Verse 25, now I know that none of you among you. Verse 32, now I commit you to God. You see this repetition that Paul does? That's how you know he's moved to the next section. Verse 32, now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are being sanctified. Now I know. And now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace. And I know that it can build you up. Paul, he had been there. He ministered among them. When he left, he handed the mantle off to them. He said, I know you're in good hands. And and the reason I know you're in good hands is because I know that you know the gospel. And I know that if you keep the word of truth before you and in front of you and beside you and behind you, if you follow that word of truth, if you live in that, if you if you sink yourself into that, 
I know you'll be okay. And I'm leaving you. And look what he says. His word of grace, God's word of grace, which is the gospel, what, what does it do? It will build you up and it will give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. What is that? It's going to bring you all the way home. It'll bring you all the way home. Philippians chapter 1, uh, Paul, Paul says, right, that he, and his prayer is that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to the day of completion in Christ Jesus. Same idea. He started it. He's doing it. He'll finish it. And that's what he says. I commit you to God, to his word, and to his grace, trusting that he will do all of that. Listen, as a church, as leaders, there are any number of things programs, all sorts of stuff we could give our time and attention and energy to. Paul gave his to the gospel. Teaching it, preaching it, one-on-one, giving it away, sharing it, exposing people to it, uh, being creative in the way he did it. We've seen the way in which he engaged the culture. But at the core of all of that, is the self-sacrifice that Paul has already alluded to numerous times. He exemplified it. I gave myself away. I worked hard. I remembered the weak. And then at the very end, he says, remember Jesus. Remember his example. What, is, what, did, what did Jesus tell us? Remember that it is more blessed to give than to Receive. Wow. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. The the Son of Man came to serve, not to be served. How does this happen? How do we get to the point where we can just give ourselves away in that manner? Can I suggest... That the way that happens is when you are fully embracing the gospel. Because it's the center of everything. Listen, when you've already walked into the courtroom of God's judgment and He's looked at you and said, not guilty, you walk out of that. You can walk out of the courtroom of heaven and into the world and it doesn't matter. For Paul, it didn't matter what the Jews said. It didn't matter what the Gentiles said. It didn't matter what the, the idol makers in Ephesus said. It didn't, it didn't matter. It didn't matter what the elites said about him. It didn't matter what the homeless said about him. Why? Because the king of glory, in his mind, had declared him not guilty. That's why he says, he can say, my life is not my own. Been bought with a price. And, and, and when you are holding tight to that gospel, you can give yourself away in the same way. If you haven't, right? If, if you're not living that way, if you're not thinking that way, then you are always putting yourself back in the courtroom. 
you were always back in the courtroom of public opinion, back in the courtroom. What is, I know, is God happy with me today or is he not happy with me today? Is so-and-so happy with me today or not happy with me today? Is that where you want to live? It's not where I want to live. I do not want to live there. Listen, it's easy as a pastor to live there. Look at all of you. You all have expectations of me, right? Things I should be doing, things I should be saying, ways I should be preaching. You all have lots of ideas. If I thought about that all the time, instead of placing myself in that court and knowing he's declared me right, and I know my heart's desire, my heart's passion is to follow Paul as he followed Christ, then I can walk. I'm not, I'm not perfect. I still want to hear. I, I still need the encouragement. I still need the challenges alongside me. But I've walked out of the, I'm done with the courtroom. He said not guilty. And that's good enough for me. What about you? Stop living in that courtroom. That's what frees you up for genuine ministry like Paul did. If you keep putting yourself back in that courtroom, oh man. Every single person in your life will have you in the dock for one thing or another. For Paul, the verdict was in, and the verdict is, God loves me. And I'm just going to throw myself into the world. I'm going to run the race set before me. And I'm going to finish it by making the grace of God known. What does the end of the race look like for you? Let me pray. Father, thanks. Thank you for such a faithful witness in the Apostle Paul and his ministry, his love of life, his love of people, his love for the church. Father, I pray that we will have that vibrancy here in our leaders in my own heart, in Marion's life. Father, we want to be like that. We want to follow Paul as he follows Christ. And then, Father, we pray, give us all the freedom to minister as Paul did. Marvelous grace. And guide us as we go. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand. We're going to sing the last two of hymn 598, Guide Me, O Thou Great Jehovah.
And now as you go out into the world, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.